Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The Rose Bowl, the football game played on the first day of a new year and representing the last official game in the old American football season. It's the game showcasing college's best from east and west, the game that will one day be known as the granddaddy of them all. Today is January 1st, 1925, date of just the 11th Rose Bowl game. Though despite its relatively short history, American sports fans already consider this event the belated Christmas of the sports calendar. And why not? The Rose Bowl has, by way of sports pages, introduced America to the point-a-minute Michigan teams, the Oregon Webfoots who didn't play west of Moscow, Idaho, yet came to within one point of mighty Harvard in this game, and the wonderful wonder teams of California. The Rose Bowl has played Kingmaker. By dint of appearing in the New Year's Day game, programs like Ohio State, USC, and Washington may forevermore be compared to traditional powerhouses like the Ivies and Penn State. And in 1925, the Rose Bowl is a stage for some of America's brightest young stars, not to mention the star power on the sidelines. Stanford University is coached by the great Pop Warner and features a crushing running attack spearheaded by Ernie Nevers. Their opposition, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, are on their way to creating a legendary football team themselves. These beasts from the East are led by their outstanding backs, Miller, Stuldreyer, Crowley, and Layden, pride of the Irish, scourge of a nation. Stanford. Notre Dame. Happy New Year 1925 from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. When great events in history occur, do witnesses realize the importance? Looking back on my time now, I realize I was one of the lucky ones, privileged to tell the stories of those times. I'm Orville Mulligan, sports writer. Welcome to the 11th Rose Bowl game in lovely Pasadena, California. Today's matchup features a scintillating <coughs> contrast of styles of football. It's Notre Dame versus Stanford at the Rose Bowl, right here on Radio Kick. <coughs> Radio Kick. <coughs> Enjoy the sounds of the crowd here at... Enjoy the sounds of the crowd here at... I don't think old Freddy's gonna make it. Unlucky him. One of the unforeseen hazards of radio, I guess. Anyway, go on, Orville. What about this game? You should have seen these guys, Huey. They were huge, like literal New York Giants. I mean, a lot of it was the padding and helmets and all. Then there was the quarterback. 
This guy Euchre or Utilize or something with a U. He could play any position in today's game and probably flatten most any of them. All of them though. All of them were just monsters. You might even call them Hunchbacks of Notre Dame. <laughs> that was another crazy thing. I was in my place, which I'm told was in Los Angeles. Not 100% sure it wasn't a dream either. Come on, you've been out here for two days and you've been passed out most of that time. And you're all set to move out here? Hey, Huey, I know what he means. Places always get screwy jumbled together for me when I'm dreaming, too. Like, like this one I had the other night. I was supposed to be in Boston covering the Red Sox, who for some reason were playing the Yale football team in a game of cricket. So then... No need to whisper, Miss Rockford. They can all see you. Watch it, Lip Noodle, before I get to making some chop suey. <laughs> <laughs> he should quit while he's ahead. He's lucky I didn't break his clavicles the way he was uh, drooling over my cleavage half the night last night. Still, hitting the stuffed daughter at his wake? Not half cowardly. So, what's the hubbub, Miss Rockford? Freddy needs your help. No, no time to explain. Just come with me. The game is about to start. We've got maybe three minutes. I know! That's why we need your help. You wouldn't have done this to Mr. Dougal, would you? Mr. Dougal wouldn't have been consorting with Radio Blowhards two minutes before kickoff, either. Don't get on my bad side, Orville Mulligan. Hang on, guys. I've got to, uh, take care of something. So, Orville and Duke's daughter, eh? Freddie and Dukes' daughter, eh? I am disappointed. I thought you had a bit more imagination than this. Well, you did spend most of the wake with him. Because he was essentially the only one who could articulate anything other than double entendres involving how I look horizontally. You associate it with a sordid lot, Mr. Mulligan. Only when I'm on the road. I'm sorry, Freddie. What was that? I think what he's trying to say is, Orville Mulligan, my good friend, I'm so glad you're here. Won't you bail me out to do my job because I am stupid and destroyed my voice while partying. Wow, you got all that from a few squeaks and burbles? Come on, Orville. Give your friend a hand. Or in this case, a voice box. Are you serious? I'm not going on radio. My boss considers radio a competitor. What's the name of your, uh, paper again? The Guardian. The Pittsburgh Guardian. Oh, yeah, that's right. Don't know that one, but I do know one thing about it. What's that? It's in Pittsburgh. Your boss has zero chance of hearing it. Well, what if someone out here hears me and gets it back to him? Come on, what are the odds? With the transmitter he's got, you'd be lucky to hear it within city limits. Besides, how could anyone prove something like that? That they heard a guy who kind of sounds like this guy who works for some, quote, paper in Pittsburgh a few days on the radio in L.A. All right, all right. Let's see here. Okay, am I on? Is this thing working? This is not great technology. You can't even tell it's on. Hello? Pasadena? 
Welcome to this broadcast of the Rose Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. My name is, uh, Freddy Carson. And here in the game... No, wait. You... No. I have already done that part. So, uh, okay. The story so far in this 11th Rose Bowl game. The opening kickoff by the Notre Dame kicker, O'Brien. O'Brien was the kicker's name. And a great name for a member of the Fighting Irish. Uh, just then, Nivers tossed it back to, uh, Cuddleback, who rolled right for about six yards. Here comes the first real play call. Nevers takes the snap, and he just bulls his way through for four yards? Yes, yes, four yards, and that's a first down. Hey, get a load of Max over there. What, does he think he's one of the old guys? Max, you're so industrious. Tell me when you're becoming one of those guys who writes the entire game summary by the end of the first quarter. Don't be ridiculous. I'm just writing up the body of the piece. 80% of it. I'll likely wait until the fourth quarter to start to finish up. What, do you have a uh, mystical future fortune-telling powers now or something? Yeah. What happened to all that stuff about who were those strange old men who knew the outcome of a game before it began? It's a completely rational way to do up a piece. Particularly in a game as predictable as this one is already looking. Predictable? Well, it should be clear, even to you two clods, that a steady diet of nevers is the only shot they have at winning this game. And even in that won't be enough. All that remains are the particulars of who does the scoring for Notre Dame. This contest of East versus West has been all Stanford so far, but they have only three points. Uh, that's one field goal to show for it. The state of affairs bodes well for the Fighting Irish, especially as only now are the vaunted horsemen. Miller, Stooldreyer, Crowley, and Layden, pride of the Irish, scourge of a nation. In fact, prior to the game, my colleague brought up an interesting point with regard to this very situation. So, uh, Rox, why don't you get up to the microphone here and impart some knowledge on our audience of thousands? Come on now, come over here, don't be shy. I'm not shy about anything. Least of all, would I tell you folks about this Rose Bowl game? This is Maddie Rockford, but rocks to you, my soon-to-be-adored public. I'm here to inform you that though this game is barely in its initial stages, the Stanford Park may be in trouble. They've had the ball most of the first quarter already, yet two field goal attempts and uh, 3-0 As I was opining before the game, Stanford needed to take advantage of the time given to Notre Dame's second string before Coach Rocky gave his poor horse with a seven mutes a chance on offense. What was that line about the horseman? You mean Miller, Stooldreyer, Crowley, and Layden? Pride of the Irish, Scourge of a Nation? Yeah! Isn't that... On this drive, Notre Dame has had their way. Rockney's innovative substitution tactics just starting to pay off as the Irish methodically drive with a relentless ground attack. Crowley has been particularly dastardly to the Stanford defense on this drive, going for runs of 20 and 15 yards, leading the Irish to their spot on the Stanford three. Red shirts are scrambling now. The Irish set up. Here's the snap. Stooldreyer hands it to Layden. Layden plows behind the left guard, and he is over the goal line. The official signal touchdown, Notre Dame.
what an inefficient Brockney is in. Stole Dryer has been hobbled since taking the vicious tackle early, so he's just handing the ball off. But Stanford still can't tell which of the three other bats is coming at them next. See, boys? The big kids come in to play for the Irish. Layden makes the first touchdown a matter of record. The rest of the story writes itself. Now, if you will excuse me, fellas. What? You're leaving? Well, I'm sticking around for some time yet, but genuinely literate sports writers are allowed on field level. Ta-ta! After the long, long drive from the Irish, we'll have to see how the Cardinal responds. But you have to figure Stanford continues to lead on Nevers. Yes, indeed, Miss Rockford. Nevers has been recovering from breaks in both angles for much of this season, and rumor has it that a cast on the right ankle was removed just yesterday. But if he's still feeling the effects of the injury, he's certainly not showing so today. On this possession, Coach Pop Warner has used Nevers almost exclusively, and he's gaining yards in bunches against the Notre Dame defenders. And Nevers has the ball again. He steps back to pass, fires downfield, and it's intercepted! That's number five, Layden with the ball. He shrugs off tackles, spins, brushes by another defender, and he's in the clear. He'll take it all the way in for the touchdown. Just when Stanford is cooking with gas, Coach Warner and Nevers go to the pass. I don't, I don't want a second guess. Who am I kidding? I love second guessing. I'm, I'm not sure the call was the call to make there. That was a 70-yard return by Elmer Layden on the theft of Nevers' intended forward pass. And that's the gun signaling the end of the first half. The score of this, the 11th Rose Bowl game in Pasadena, California, is Notre Dame Fighting Irish 14, Stanford Cardinal 3. Well, what's that, Freddie? Why, thank you very much. Better than you after just one half, you say? Naturally, modesty prevents me from agreeing too ardently. But don't you have any compliments for Miss Rockford? Ah, Freddy, baby, you say the most wonderful things. Wait, what did you say, Freddy? You'll run and find us some coffee? Great idea, Freddy, thanks a bunch. I take mine black, two sugars. And you, Miss Rockford? Lots of cream, lots of sugar. And hey, if you can't find any coffee, get us something else to drink. Like, maybe a moxie. By now, we're getting a bit used to winter. We're like soldiers in the middle of a campaign, growing hardened to discomfort and better able to take it, and looking with longing toward the day when the war is won and there'll be plenty of everything again, including that good Olga Cole. Always buy Chesterfield, the milder cigarette. <laughs> and in fact, there's nothing smarter than an atom. Quite a game so far. I suppose. Expected a little more out of Stanford, though. They really look like a one-trick pony on offense. So, why don't you ask me? Ask you? For a cigarette? No, you lunkhead. Ask me the questions you and probably all your bathtub gym spun friends have been wanting to ask me since I showed up. What about me? What about my father? What about me and my father? Etc. 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 Alright, so 
who's your mother? Oh, interesting twist, Mr. Mulligan. Her name is Patricia. Her friends call her Patty. Last name now, Smithson. Born Simon. She works as a secretary, has all my life. It's recently in Hollywood for United Artists, no less. United Artists? Charlie Chaplin's company? I met him. It's so very strange to hear him speak, but he does have quite the endearing accent. Happy, huh. Mr. Dougal. Knew him. Naturally. Naturally. So, was it difficult growing up with divorced parents? I wouldn't know. My parents never divorced. They were never married. Never married? How did that work? From what I understand, they knew from the start that they weren't able to live conventionally. Poppy wouldn't and couldn't give up the traveling sports writer lifestyles much as he groused about it. All he ever found truly interesting was sports. An exaggeration, but not completely unfair. Poppy didn't want to give up living lustily with freedom and gusto. Mom was the same way. Not about the roaming, but the living and leisure time to excess. Uh, she was a flapper ahead of her time. But every year, in December, Poppy came back home to California to live with us until early March. We'd have Christmas together, the three of us, and New Year's. Since Poppy was hardly working at all, he had a lot of time for Mom and me. He'd tell us these crazy stories about the things he'd seen and done on the road, and about all those great sports events of the past nine months. But then, every February, at some point after Valentine's Day, oh, they were suckers for that day, the cracks would begin to show. Like clockwork, they'd start picking at each other, they'd argue about something stupid, Poppy would go on his own one night. Then it came time for him to go down to Florida or the Carolinas because the big exhibition baseball games were starting up, and after that, the season would be on. During the rest of the year, he'd constantly send me letters, right up until. Until last week. Since he was working for the wires, his name wasn't always on the story, but he'd always tell me what he'd written so I could look for it. I spent any little money Mom gave me on newspapers. After a while, I could tell whether he'd written any old piece just by the language of it. Impressive. Hey, how do you think I've been keeping up all time? Do you think I just keep pulling this out of my patootie here? Anyhow, this isn't the only lady who can write about sports, you know. Say. I'm a huge fan. So then, six years ago, he came out to see us, but didn't stay at the house. That's when Mom told me she was tired of their arrangement, she wanted something different, and that she and Poppy had never actually been married at all. I, I, I don't think they ever spoke again after that. Whenever he'd come out here afterward, he'd have me meet him somewhere in the city, ask how she was, and but never ever see her. When he died on that tray out there, they called me first. I had to go to Arizona to identify him and all that other garbage with the body. I, 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 I knew not to be destroyed by his passing. He'd 
told me not to be surprised when his time came and, and to know he didn't mind. It was all worth it. And I know it's true. I, I should be stoic and realistic about it. But I'm still going to miss Poppy. Hello, kids. I hope I'm not interrupting anything uninterruptible. <laughs> Jeez, what happened? Are you okay? Nothing happened. Um, what's up, Max? Well, I just met a new friend. An old friend of dudes. He's a good guy and a good source. You two are working hard, so I, uh, I got you a little something. Wow. Is this any good? Straight from south of the border, reportedly, and... Here's a couple of glasses. Oh, uh, no thanks. I'll never be able to do the second half if I start now. Ah, what a panty waste. Hand it over, Tiger Lily. Okay, that was pretty good stuff. And there's plenty more where that came from if you want any before leaving town. To be fair, I could set him up too. Who do you think scored you the bottles you drank last night? You figured the hotel had a raffle and you won? Regardless. I gotta say, you seemed like a changed man overnight, Max. New year, new dukes. New year, new Max. Information is power. And this beautiful little notebook is full of good information. Just don't get drunk on that power, Max. Ah, don't worry about me. With this baby, I won't need to get drunk with power because I can get drunk with drink everywhere in the U.S. <laughs> if I so choose, that is. <laughs> Freddy, coffee for me? Why, thank you. Notre Dame forced to punt, laid in his back. He punts it high, Solomon waits. He's got it, it's through his hands. Hunsinger shoves him aside, picks up the ball, and no one's in front of him. 20 yards clear for the touchdown. Of all the name players and firepower on this Notre Dame offense, who would have thought it would be right-ed Ed Hunsinger scoring on a muffed punt that could be the touchdown that puts the game away for the Irish? And after that tide-turning turnover and the extra point, Pop Warner and the majority Stanford faithful are just stunned at the sight of that 20-3 score on the board. Maybe it's a little like that. That, what do they call that? That thing in India. Reincarnation. So when Dukes died, his soul got passed into Max's body. That's not how it works, you imbecile. When you get reincarnated, you come back in the body of a totally new thing, like a tadpole or a baboon or a human, if you've done good things in your life. Your soul doesn't just go into another person. What, are they going to be walking around with two souls? Maybe some people don't have souls at first, and then they, they get them later. Remember that we were talking about Max here? No, I'm not buying it. It's the book. It's got to be the book. Why? Is there secret incantations in it? Yeah, it's got secret incantations in it. And maybe he'll have a seance and get reincarnated into Red Grange's body. No, it's got exactly what he said in it. Names, numbers, passwords. Just having that sort of thing can give you confidence. Confidence? Confidence isn't a skill, boys. It's more like an art. 
refined through time. Now you may note that the prediction I forecasted for this game is indeed coming to pass. I figure Nevers will break through for at least one score, and so I'll write my final column inches and voila! Done! It's gotta be the notebook. Obviously, reincarnation. In the third quarter, it feels like Stanford and Ernie Nevers are dominating, were it not for that 17-point advantage to Notre Dame showing on the scoreboard. Nevers has been wearing down the Irish front all afternoon, and this drive is little more than another heavy dose of Nevers. It's been line buck after line buck to number one time and time again. It's a relentless assault on the ground this time, with big Jim Lawson leaving his mark on Notre Dame's defenders as well. Unfortunately, this may be a little too little too late. And it's not often you can use the words too little in conjunction with either Nevers and Lawson. Here's the snap. It looks like yet another line buck by Nevers, but wait! Walker keeps the ball, rolls left, and tosses it to Shipley, virtually all alone on that right side. Touchdown, Stanford! The trickery of Pop Warner's offensive mind has worked yet again, and credit is due to that entire Cardinal line, too. Time is not on Stanford's side now, with Notre Dame holding their 10-point lead. The result of this fourth and goal right now will likely determine the game. And despite the predictability, Stanford has got to go to Nevers. Don't you think, Miss Rockford? Most likely, after the punishment he's told out in this game, a couple more runs will have a rock made in another round of substitutions. Here it is, possibly the make or break of the 1925 Rose Bowl. Walker takes the snap. It's Nevers with the carry, hits a wall at the goal line. There's just a massive pile of humanity there near the goal line, no signal yet from the officials, and the Stanford supporters are cheering. They think it's in. The referee is just about sticking his head directly into the pileup to get a better read on what's transpired. He gets back to his feet and signals, Notre Dame ball! The Irish have thwarted the upheaval and prevented the great Ernie Nevers once again from hitting pay dirt. That could very well be, for all intents and purposes, the sealant on the victory for Notre Dame. Layden put the emphatic punctuation on his performance as player of the game with a 35-yard scamper for the game's final touchdown. The score affected not the game's result, but served as notice to the nation that the four horsemen had brought their Notre Dame to a place on the college football landscape to stay. Orville Mulligan, sports writer. End. Thank you, Orville. Is California as amazing as everybody says? And how has the rest of your trip been? How much time do you have? Enough. Yours was the last copy to get in for tomorrow's paper. Okay, but first things first. I need you to help me with some research. All right. I need you to look up this inventor in San Francisco by the name of Farnsworth. Do you have a first name? Uh, Phineas, maybe? Or Hubert? I forgot that part. But you might also want to look for the image dissector camera tube. That's his new invention. Orville, is this some cockamamie investment idea for my father? Because he certainly needs no help with shaky investing. I'll explain when I get back. Just trust me. All right. I'll also explain other things, too. Oh, really? Yes, really. But I get the feeling I'm going to have to go through the entire story of this week. Well, go ahead. I'm all ears. All right, let's see. When I got my first glimpse of the airplane, I had to admit doubts were creeping in as the reality of this undertaking was dawning on me like the Ohio sun in the sky. Seriously? This thing was going to fly? Sammy, Huey, and I ended up shooting the breeze with what remained of the stuff Max had set us up with. 
and they were gone this morning before I awoke. And trust me, I made sure I was up in the AM this time. I sat in the hotel restaurant on that second morning of 1925, pondering my short-term future, namely, how I was getting back to Pittsburgh. I could certainly fly back with Walter Lees, but I wasn't sure I was ready to relive that particular experience. I could take my time and ride the train back across the country. Marla could even set the whole thing up, but just then that didn't sound so appealing either. All I knew is that Frank wouldn't want to pay for this hotel for very much longer. And I probably couldn't even finagle Oh, well, hello, Mr. Radio Star. Oh, hello yourself, Miss Rockford. Coming to say goodbye? Maybe. You sure you want to go? Lots of folks come for a visit and never leave, you know. So I hear. Maybe someday I'll come out here to stay, but for right now I have a job. I have people. Yes, you should probably get back to uh, those people. When's your train out? Well, that's the conundrum, isn't it? Still not sure how I'm heading back, much less when. Maybe I can help, or rather, my friend can. <sighs> Good morning to you, Orville. Freddy! So, Freddy and I were wondering if you'd like to come along with us. Don't know about getting you to Pittsburgh, but Freddy's gonna get to Dallas, and I'm gonna take care of a couple of poppies... And, um, business matters out there. And we all three need to talk business. You two could have quite a promising future in radio. So what do you say, Arvy? Think of it. Three new chums out on the open road painting the American West route. Why not? Texas, here we come. This has been Orville Mulligan's Sports Writer, an audio drama podcast from Number 80 Productions and the Sports History Network. Episode script and story by Oz Davis and Darren Hayes. Orville Mulligan Sports Writer stars Doug Fye, Ilana Fye, and Eric Bodwell. This episode co-stars, in order of appearance, Cademan Holland, Aubriana Lavalley, John Roberts, and Forrest Hartle. Directing by Eric Bodwell. Sound recording and editing by Don McIver. The theme song of Orville Mulligan Sports Writer is Dayton Triangle's Rag and was arranged and performed by Bruce Smith. Additional original music was provided by David Liso of Dynamo Stairs, Mike Monroe and Gene Monroe, and Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound Studios. Please see the podcast liner notes for the complete soundtrack listing. Orville Mulligan Sports Writer is produced by Darren Hayes and Oz Davis. Series concept by Darren Hayes. Keep your dial locked to this podcast station for the next exciting episode of Orville Mulligan Sports Writer coming soon.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.